Welcome to the Dixie Polis Podcast. My name's Travis. And this is Luke. We are Southern Men De-Reconstructing the South. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness, and then on and forevermore. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, 1 through 5. And 14. So, welcome back. Uh, we're doing a Christmas episode. We're, we're talking about the incarnation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Part, part of the, the number one foundation for any unreconstructed Southern man is, is the truth of God entering into humanity, of which this is the reason we celebrate Christmas. Yeah, and, you know, Christ obviously is the the central figure um, of the New Testament. He's the wind, he's the, the, the person through which we understand the Trinity at all, both in the Old and the New Testament. And Christ tells his disciples that Moses speaks of him. Uh, and this is what he meant. He's our brother, our friend. He's our guide. He's our leader. He's the husband to the church. And, you know, our, our celebration of Christmas is, you know, as you said, it's the celebration of the of the God man delivered to humanity to rescue us from our sin. So so what makes the incarnation a huge deal is the fact that a eternal God decided to condescend his very being and enter into the very creation of which he created. No other religion has it. Sure, there's other religions that have deities that are within the, the, the you know, quote-unquote mortal realm, but none of those false gods were actually transcendent beyond the creation. We literally had the creator joining with and walking with the creatures um in the verse that you quoted uh the 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 image there was you know the word dwelt among us it it literally tabernacled among us and lived with us and he is still ruling and reigning as the god man this holiday within the protestant tradition it, it's very unique that this was the the southerners number one holiday of which they celebrated. Like the Yankees had Thanksgiving that they celebrated in the uh, antebellum period, and we celebrated Christmas because the Puritans outlawed Christmas in New England. I find that very, very, very ironic that the that the um, sect that went more towards a Unitarian, they did not celebrate the Incarnation the way 
the Southerners did. And you still have that attack on Christmas from within the Puritan circles that very much dislike Christmas and they want to link it to uh, paganism in a hundred thousand different ways instead of recognizing the, the season of hope that it is to remember the birth of Christ. And it, you know, the, the birth of Christ was in and of itself. It was this beacon of hope for the common man, for the average man, for the, for the sinner who sees his own sin. And now the Savior has come to provide him with restitution to the, the king who's he, whom he is offended with his with his son and you know, being part of the southern tradition uh, I think you and I have put up a pretty robust defense of Christmas in the past uh, especially on the you know of course the the the, the wonderful denizens of the internet are, are used to giving all these terrible arguments against Christmas. Um, but, you know, even, even other, other people in real life, you know, they've, uh, you know, people that I've, I've known and I've met, they've had convictions against Christmas for whatever reason. And that's been a conversation that's, that's been brought home. And when it's the, I think the biggest resistance they've had, which I would I would agree with, is their hatred of the commercialization of Christmas. How it's all about, you know, toys and and how much you didn't get me for Christmas or how much did you get me for Christmas? And we actually lose sight of the gift giving coming from the highest gift that could be given which is redemption with the Father. Um, I'll be the first one to admit that over the past um, several years, I've I, I've really struggled with actually trying to celebrate Christmas just because we get so wrapped up in the commercialization of everything. And I, I've become, I've almost become a Grinch in some, some ways, but on the other hand, I really love the Christmas season because... It's a time that we actually celebrate Christ coming into humanity and redeeming His people, um, as the passage that I alluded, you know, that I that I quoted earlier, um, that you know, a child will be born, a son will be given, the government rests upon his shoulders. There'll be no end to the increase of his peace or his government of peace, and he will sit on the throne of David and establish it with justice and righteousness forever. That's that's a beautiful picture that the Old Testament paints of what the Messiah is going to do and what, you know, sitting from our perspective, he has done. But we've so diluted the meaning of the season that it's nothing more than just just materialistic bullcrap. And I'm, I'm, right. I'm quite frankly sick of it. Well, and, you know, the... 
we, we talk about the God man and that that kind of flies over over people as you know it's 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 almost a, a triviality when we talk about that with with people but I think the missing element if if people really understood all of the surrounding civilizations in in that area the Greeks the uh, Assyrians, the Akkadians, the Egyptians, they all had their myth of the God-man in various ways. Uh, you had Marduk, who was, you know, a, a god, but he's the one who created man, and he kind of condescended to man in a way. Uh, and he, he operates in that area, uh, and the king was supposed to uh, recapitulate the the wisdom and the sight of Marduk in his actions as a king. Um, you had the 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 Greek myth, mythological characters like uh, Hercules, who was he was a man and he had he 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 harmed his family and so he had to redeem himself. And you know the the last act that he performed is uh you know one of the one of the final trials and he went out he got married again and he was killed before he could he could actually you know uh uh consummate that marriage and you know zeus after seeing his his son go through all this trouble he brought his son up to divinity and so zeus was this uh, kind of character that people use to understand redemption. Uh, you had uh, you know, various characters like this throughout all of the mythological uh, systems in that area. And people looked to these characters for uh, uh, wisdom on how to redeem yourself, on how to uh, uh, abandon your sin, or how to uh, act righteously or rightfully. Uh, they were models on how to act. As Lewis said, you know, Christ is the one true myth. His, his life, his birth, his death, and his resurrection are all mythological events in the sense that they're, they're types for how we can live and die. You know, obviously we're not going to recreate Christ's life in a literal sense. We can't die for other people's sins. But we can metaphorically die to ourselves. We can metaphorically die for our families. Uh, these are these are models on how to live, and you know, often that death to ourselves, for our family, or for that which we're supposed to die for, uh, in this metaphorical sense, we we are uh, restored in that sacrifice because there's a a sense of delayed gratification where we we've we've sacrificed of ourselves and we reap the harvest that we've sown through that sacrifice uh but in the other sense christ was a real person he was really god incarnate he was literally physically born of a virgin and he lived a life that was sin sinless he he died on the cross for our sins, actually died on the cross for our sins. 
he was nailed to a to a to a cross in the the area of Palestine in the first century, and he and he literally died. It's not just a, a typological story that we can live by. It's it's also true history. And this combination of typology that we can live by and history that we can lean upon, it's all embodied in the person of Christ himself. He fulfilled all of those desires that people in the surrounding civilizations and in their own civilization, that the Hebrew civilization, he fulfilled that desire for redemption in that through his life and death and resurrection, we can have communion with the Father. We can be saved. We can be brought into oneness with God. Uh, you know, as he says in John 17. So the birth of Christ is the beginning of all of that. And looking back to the birth of Christ points us to everything that follows that, that birth in the story of Christ on earth in his ministry as we get through the Gospels. So it really is a season of hope in, in, this, in this ultimate sense. And it makes us realize the true miracle of the hypostatic union, this real miracle of the union. Uh, no, I don't want to say it that way. Uh, this, this real miracle of God the Son becoming enfleshed and dwelling among us and living with us and being, being a part of the human experience so that uh, he can be our brother and our friend and our teacher in that, in that, very, that very prescient and, and imminent way. One of the things that I found kind of uh, interesting was you were you were bringing up a lot of the mythological heroes and how they they harmed humanity or they harmed their creation, so therefore they had to be redeemed. And with Christ, it's the exact opposite. Even even with mythological heroes that, uh, and I, I'm using heroes very loosely. I don't want to say mythological gods. Uh, but the, these stories that are in the Greek and Roman myths, um, they the heroes had to, uh, you know, a few of them had to earn their godhood. They had to, you know, take the hero's journey and then they ascended to godhood. Well, in that aspect, it's the exact opposite of what Christ did. Christ did not harm his creation. Christ did not have to ascend to godhood. Christ came, he was God, he entered into humanity, and he redeemed humanity, but he did not redeem humanity because he had to. He did it by his own free volition and by his own grace and mercy. And that is the reason that he became incarnate. While Christ completed the hero's journey, he started out as the hero from birth. He did not have to, he did not have a redemption arc. The redemption arc in Christ's story is our redemption, not his. He is the sinless one, 
and yet he entered into a sinful creation in order that that creation might become sinless in the future. Yeah, he he flipped the the traditional God-man story on its head, you know, like you're saying. Instead of having to be redeemed, he redeemed others. Instead of having an obligation to his creation, his creation has an obligation to him. And it, it, it kind of brings me back to the imagery in the Old Testament. So he uses the, in Ezekiel, he uses the imagery of this, this woman he found in the mire. And I'll, I'll go ahead and read the passage. He says, and when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. And I said to you in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant in the field. And you grew up and became tall and arrived in full adornment. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age of love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord, and you became mine. And then I bathed you with water, washed off your blood from you, and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with an embroidered cloth and shod you with fine linen, fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you in silk. I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a ring in your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothing was of fine linen, silk, and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced in royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty. For it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed upon you, declares the Lord. This is the kind of thing that God does to those that he loves. He, he pulls them out of their own mire and gives them everything. And when they, when they act in accordance to what he desires, he, he blesses them as if it was their idea for them to live that way. But it, it was, it, he blesses us like it was our idea to live this way. Now, in the Old Testament... You know, the, the, the people of Israel became a, a, a whore, and they went after other gods, and they, uh, they, they hated God. And, and this, this imagery of, uh, you know, marital covenant is absolutely riddled throughout the Old Testament, talking about the church, uh, the people of Israel, and God himself. And in the New Testament, this is recapitulated, for instance, in Ephesians 5, where he says, Husbands, love your wives you know, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a, mother and f a man shall leave his mother and father and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So this 
this idea of the link between God's relationship with his church is carried over from the Old Testament into the New, the New Testament. And it's speaking specifically of Christ this time, not just of God. And it is the coming of Christ that inaugurates this, uh, re this revelation, this relationship between Christ and his church. And it's through the, the person of Christ that we can fully understand the love that God has for us, that even though we hate him and even though we act in ways that are dis that are despicable and we take his image and we sully it through our sin. He still condescends in the person of Christ and he dies for us while we yet hate him. And the spirit comes and changes our hearts so that we would love him as part of this as part of this relationship. So it, it, it really all, all of this is found in the birth of Christ. It's, it's all coming from the birth of Christ. And, uh, you know, when we, when we celebrate that Christ has come, we're, we are looking forward to the final coming of Christ, the second coming where Christ is going to consummate this covenant that he's brought this new covenant. The, the love that he has bestowed upon the church will be fully fleshed out, fully revealed at that time when we'll not just see it through words in the scriptures and we'll not just see it through the change of the heart that we have, but we'll see it in a full unveiling in, in the person of Christ. You know, I mean, one of the things that that passage in Ephesians really brought me back to is that Marriage is is literally a typological image of 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 the gospel. Really, you know, the husband stands yeah. in the role of Christ. The woman stands in the role of the church. Um, you know, the woman produces more members to be added to the church. Uh, she represents the fertility of the gospel spreading throughout the entire age. Um, the husband represents the protecting, the providing, the presiding over the church. Uh, how the church submits to Christ, uh, but more than that, it, it also represents how Christ chose. Because Christ could have just, you know, you know, levitated down in a thirty-year-old body, done everything, and then just rose three days later and ascended back. He he could have done that, but instead, he chose to enter into family and then be raised on earth for thirty-three years to go to the cross he had one chief end and that was to live a perfect life he he literally lived a life like me and you would live to fulfill his one end and if he was you know if he's god and he is god then it would just why why would we want to bypass the role that he has given us when he himself fulfilled the very role that he well, that the father gave to him. Does that make right. sense? Like, like, why, why yeah. should we want to bypass every all the all the, the the life experience that Christ Himself had to go through because He came as a as a babe swaddled in a manger? You know, Christ when He entered into humanity, He experienced everything 
that we experienced except for sin. You know, he had to experience, he probably had to experience stomach aches, headaches. He probably had to experience, well, no, actually, he did experience hunger. You know, it says it in Matthew. He experienced thirst. He, um, he expended, he experienced blistered hands, uh, back breaking work. He had to experience, you know, uh, his his the, the brow of his you know the brow of his head sweating profusely from you know working in the Palestinian sun you know building houses or whatever it was that carpenters did back then. So that's just a good role to show us to be faithful within our in the station that the Father has ordained us to walk in, because Christ did it first. Yeah, and and you know even even further than that, you know we see the extent to which Christ went for his bride. You know all the things that he did, despite his bride sinning against him, he he did everything for her. He clothed her. He gave her everything that a wife should have. You know everything his queen should have. He gave to her. And it wasn't without expectation in the Old Testament. And even in the New Testament, there, you know, all the love that God gives you is not without expectation. You know, the difference between the Old Testament, the Old Covenants and the New Covenants is that the success of that expectation is not dependent on your, uh, your own volition. You have the power of the Spirit. You have the power of uh, the Son. You have God Himself standing beside you and dwelling within you, and 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 judging above you to give you all that you need to fulfill. You know, in the Old Testament, it was just relying on on men and their best judgment. And you know, even the even the best of men. You know, let's say David, for instance. You know, David still sinned gravely before God. And that the times when he sinned, it wasn't just him who reaped the punishment of of that. It was the, the people of Israel died as well. I mean, there were there were, you know, through his sin, David killed thousands, tens of thousands of other people because he sinned. And in the new covenant, this is this is brought down to you, the individual. God has condescended to each individual person within the covenant and he he deals directly with their hearts so that they love him and that they would serve him and we have what they didn't have in the old testament in that uh you know christ sent the comfort comforter which was the holy spirit to us and we, we have the holy spirit so this covenant is per, is perfected in that not only do we have a change of heart, but we have the constant influence of the Spirit and the Son on us daily. Especially when we're in the Word and especially when we're in prayer daily. This feels, uh, it's starting to feel like a positive eschatology 2.0. I mean, it is. I mean, Christmas is an eschatological holiday because God entered into humanity. So I sent this to a um, a friend of mine the other day and he, you know he says you were you were talking about, you know, an optimistic eschatology and you never hit on eschatology. Well, that's because when you have an optimistic eschatology, everything is eschatology. 
literally everything. You know, the pessimist is like, oh, Christ will, Christ will, Christ will. And we're over here saying Christ is, Christ is, Christ is. Christ is ruling and reigning right now. Christ is expanding his kingdom. I mean, let's just bring it back to Isaiah 9 real quick. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. And I left out this this one sentence from verse 7 because I didn't, I just looked right over it. But the zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. When we're actually talking about eschatology, from from a position of victory, from a position of, of Christ has conquered this, it's because he is conquering right now. Nothing, like whenever he says, all authority has been given unto me, therefore go, he means all authority. In the, in the Greek, all, it, it, it means all. It means everything. <laughs> So all of, all means all all means all all the time, okay. When he says all authority on heaven and on earth, that that's the qualification for all is on heaven and on earth. So all authority has been given unto me. That means he is that means he is king right now. You know when when the shepherds came, and and they bowed down to worship this little babe in a manger. They were literally bowing to the king of everything. The Magi come when he was about, what was about four or five, I think is what most scholars say. When the Magi came, they came to bring gifts to a king. Not just any king, though. A literal celestial, celestial king. King over heaven and earth. And this is why... We stand in a position of victory as Christians. Now, this isn't to say that you should, you know, sit back and and um, and not do anything because Christ is ruling and reigning now. No, you know, we we are a part of the Lord's army. You know, to to well, quote that old VBS song. Whole... You know, I'm in the Lord's army. Uh, I don't I don't remember it because it's been several years since I actually sang that song, but. We're literally people in the army, you know. When Paul says that we're slaves yeah. to Christ, we are slaves to Christ. We are fighting for Christ. We are to do his bidding. So we're not just sitting back on the sidelines, bearing our talents, hoping that, you know, that, oh, well, since he's king now, we don't have to do anything. We can just sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. No, we're not enjoying the show. We are the ones that he has ordained to go and conquer and to spread his kingdom forevermore. Well, and, and, you know, it's also telling in the great commission. He, he says all power and authority has given unto me, therefore go, you know, with that, with that proclamation that he is now ruling and reigning, you know, it, it, it directly leads into a command of action. He's saying, go do stuff because I'm ruling and reigning not hey sit back I got this handled you know he God acts through means and this is why we've had such a, a heavy emphasis on your mindset and on your uh, your action because these absolutely matter that you are imaging Christ through your marriage 
you know, we, we started off with this and we keep going back to this as, you know, the first place to start is to get your marriage right. Make sure you're treating your wife properly. And then from your marriage, uh, that, that special relationship that you have with your, with your wife, make sure that's good. Make sure that you're properly imaging the new covenant in your relationship. And then once you've got, you know, a halfway handle on that, because you're never really going to fully do that perfectly. But once you've got, you know, the slightest handle on that, then you need to make sure that your relationship with your children are good. Make sure you have children and then have good relationships with your children. And then you expand that from your actions within the home. You expand that to your extended family and then to your church and then to your community. And unless if you try to skip steps, which we like to do, you know, we want to just vote the right guy in office. Well, if if your home life's a wreck, you're never going to really impact your community. You need to have yourself together before you go out and you proclaim all the ills and evils of society. Because those ills and evils of society come from people that are just like us who aren't living how we're supposed to live. And, you know, it, how, how is the Christmas message? Well, Christ came to remind us of this. Christ came to show us how to live. He came to show us that we could have communion with the Father through Christ. And he came to give us that connection in his blood. And he came to, to, to uh, justify everything that he said and everything that he did through his resurrection. So all of those things are applied to us through the blood of Christ. We, we, are, we are saved in that complete sense. And now because of that salvation and our, and our thankfulness that we should have towards Christ, that thankfulness that we get, we should then utilize to, to invigorate our desire to be like him and not just to be thankful for him. So, so uh, to bring it to a 21st century type context, um, we need to learn to clean our rooms because Christ was the ultimate room cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, unironically, yes. I mean, he, he, had his, he had his stuff together because, well, he was sinless. Uh, granted, we, we in this mortal state can never achieve sinless perfectionism because, well, for one thing, sinless perfectionism is, sinless perfectionism is a heresy. Uh, but every day, I think, I think it was Lewis that said, every day we're practicing being more like him. Like right now we're in just dress rehearsal. We're, we're just practicing being more like Christ and in the hopes right. that one day we will be theologically like Christ, not ontologically like Christ, but we will be theologically like Christ. We will be in a perfected state because Christ has perfected us. And every day that we, we kill sin and we, you know, undergo this process of sanctification, we become more and more like Christ every single day. And then we just, we, we get a glimmer at the glories that is to come um in the future you know we're we don't want to harp on things that we talk about in other podcasts this is kind of 
for Christmas. And Christmas has been uh, a struggle for, for myself as well because of the commercialization. And one of the, one of the ways that that's really revitalized the holiday for me has been a retelling of just the story of Christ and sitting down and having all the kids together and uh, having the whole, the whole family sitting around the, the living room. We just tell the story of Christ and we, we want to stay true to the text. We want to stay true to uh, the, the, the history that's been given to us in the Bible. But the, the way it's presented is not, you know, chapter and verse. It's just the story of Christ. And we start with what were things like before Christ? How, how did men live before the Savior came? And then we tell the story of the miraculous birth the sinless life, the perfect death of Christ, and then his resurrection. And we tell the story of the new covenant that came from that sacrificial life, death, and resurrection. And it's a way for the, it's a way for just the pure meaning that we were supposed to get from the text to be conveyed uh, without any of the without any of the academics getting in the way we like to, especially in our culture, we like to, we like things to be academic. You know, we're going to give the, the chapter and verse instead of just reading it as the story it was intended to be. So we, we do that. And then we sing hymns afterwards. We sing, you know, many of our, our favorite Christmas hymns, uh, joy to the world, uh, uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Um, we've got we've got Emmanuel. a few others that we sing. Oh come, oh come, Emmanuel. That's probably my uh, favorite Silent one. Night. Yeah, I, I think Silent Night's my favorite, uh, honestly. But we sing the hymns to reinforce the story that's been told through uh, the 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 songs that we sing, and especially the younger kids will really involve themselves in that. And it brings the whole family together. Uh, I'm trying to learn to play a guitar. My mom plays the accordion and the piano. My dad plays the harmonica. It's a ragtag thing, but we all get together and we just play and, and we sing songs. And it's a, it's a really wholesome and very spiritual experience that comes along with that. That uh, I've, I, that's something that we've built inside of our family that we, we try to do that every Christmas. Yeah. We, 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 you know, granted my, my family doesn't have a, a large music, musical talent pool, but we still get together every, every Christmas. It's a good time to just get together with family. And, um, so, so one thing that my mom always used to do whenever I was a little kid, and this is extremely corny, I know, but, but it, you know, it, it's still pretty, pretty funny nonetheless um but whenever i was a real young kid getting up early and opening christmas presents or uh now going early to my mom's house whenever i was a young adult was she would always get like a cupcake or something out and we would all sing happy birthday to jesus <laughs> which, no, which I mean, was that's... extremely cute at the time but 
yeah. it really drove the meaning home. Well, my my wife's done something similar with the smaller kids that we have. What's that? Oh no, no the the happy birthday Jesus. Um, we, we've we've done that too. Uh, that's that's certainly not a a, a bad thing. Um, the little kids can definitely understand that. They really get into that, and they uh, they they love to sing. They love to sing to Jesus. So that's that uh, that is kind of cute, you know. When we'll have little babies doing that, you know, it it's all about pointing ourselves back towards Christ. And and when that's done, you know, even with the little ones, and it's approachable with the little ones, that's a that's a great thing to do. One one thing I always like to harp on and. It it really brings the message home is to have it all like okay gift giving is absolutely fine like I, I absolutely love gift giving I think we should gift give but on on the other hand we shouldn't take away from the actual meaning of Christmas and this time of year about what it actually what it actually is by blinding us with gifts and on that same hand. If we are, if we're Christians and we want to imitate Christ, we shouldn't be liars. We shouldn't obscure the image of Christ and the actual meaning behind the season of Christmas by lying to our kids about Santa because when they get older, they're going to equate that same lie with both things we told them, that it's Jesus' birthday or that it's the day that we commemorate Jesus' birth, also with... Oh well, they were also lying about Santa. So why would they not be lying about the real reason behind Christmas? And um, yeah, I, I just don't think we should be liars. Sorry, that, that's something that's something I like to harp on myself. Just because when kids get older, we teach them not to lie, right? But yet we're setting a terrible example by lying to our kids. And half of our people just unsubscribed after uh, unsubscribed after I said that. <laughs> Yeah, we we uh we tell our our children the story of uh, the real Saint Nicholas who slapped heretics. That's right. So worship Jesus and slap heretics. That's a good Christmas message. Yeah, and I'm not even like okay. So one thing my parents did was they 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 played pretend with Santa. That's fine if you want to play pretend, but it was very explicit that we're just playing pretend. Like, I, there was no, all of a sudden, awakening moment for me. It was like, oh, Santa's not real. And I got all of a sudden heartbroken. I was just like, oh, no, Santa's not real. That's stupid. Who actually believes that crap? <laughs> yeah. No, well, I, and we've never done the Santa thing either because, you know, much the same reason. Uh, it just, it, it, it takes everything away from Christ. When you feel when you feel Christmas with, um, you know, it's it's just we're, we're gonna get we're gonna get presents, we're gonna get a toy. Uh, I think it trivializes Christmas, and we want the focus to be entirely about Christ, the God Man, and not about toys. And again, you know, I'll I'll affirm what you said earlier you know, there's no problem with giving gifts there's no problem with christmas trees there's no problem even with talking about you know santa claus with you know heavy winks so the kids get the joke but it shouldn't be about santa claus 
and in our in our home we we almost well i wouldn't say almost we we don't ever talk about santa claus uh we talk about gifts that we give one another and we try to make sure that my my wife introduced this to us um we try to have homemade gifts things that uh we put our own our own energy into uh even if it's something simple like a a card that our kids will draw up and write out um they actually put their own time and energy into into making something for the person that they're giving a gift to and the the emphasis is not on having this elaborate very expensive gift it's on taking something of yourself and giving it to that other person through whatever it is you're giving to them uh and that that's something we'll be carrying on as a family because that's a that's a that's a wonderful uh a wonderful way to encapsulate what Christ did for us in his life I like that. That's a really good idea. Like, unironic. I really like that. Yeah, uh, it's it's um, it's 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 beautiful, actually. Uh, my wife's a my wife's a beautiful woman. I'm going to brag on her a little bit. Uh, she 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 thinks like that regularly. That's just the the kind of person that she is. That's uh, I I love her very much. So Mm-mm. you're gonna get some extra points for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Wife, don't listen to this episode. Oh, uh, so so to wrap this up, uh, a few um, ending comments on this is: love God, love your family, celebrate Christmas with your entire heart, um, worship the God Man. And uh, believe the gospel because that's the only that's the only way that we can ever reclaim who we are as a people, and to celebrate the incarnation because that is the reason anyone is Christian right now. Period. Bar none. And remember that you know all things are found in Christ. All of our our wants are are. Our desires, our frustrations, all of these can find their conclusion and their restitution in Christ. You know, this is thrown around as a cheap saying, but it really is true in in what God has given us and what Christ is. Um, that we can really have union with God, and and that union is found in the person of Christ. And if you if you are a child of Christ, know that Christ loves you and take this time of Christmas to have rest and peace in that love and try to give that love to your family. Even if there's frustrations with your family this Christmas, because sometimes Christmas is just a hard time for people, uh, depending on where you're at and what your family's like. But. Try to give that love in spite of anything that happens. And if you don't, you know, I I don't think anybody who's listening to this podcast is not a Christian. But if you're not, if you if you don't have saving faith in Christ, uh, 
I would I would pray that God change your heart and I and I and I hope that you would turn to Christ and repent of your sins and understand the truth of Christ's life and that you would turn to him for all things. Repent of your sins and believe. Thank you for joining us with the Dixie Pellis podcast. Uh, we are wrapping up the 2021 Christmas season and we're going to take some time off, spend some time with family, enjoy the holidays, and uh, hope to see you back at it at the beginning of 2022. Enjoy the next song that we've selected. It's not our normal closer. It's by the probably one of the greatest country music bands of all time, Alabama, and um, from Dixie, Merry Christmas. By now in New York City There's snow on the ground And out in California The sun shines falling down And maybe down in Memphis Graceland's all in light In Atlanta, Georgia There's peace on earth tonight Christmas in Dixie It's snowing in the pines Merry Christmas from Dixie To everyone tonight The kids are out of school There's magic in Motown The city's on the move In Jackson, Mississippi To Charlotte, Carolina all across the nation It's a peaceful Christmas time Christmas in Dixie It's snowing in the pines Merry Christmas from Dixie To everyone tonight Fort Payne, Alabama Merry Christmas